0: Good morning covenant good to see you what an awesome just incredibly encouraging time to me that it was to walk into this worship center today and even to sit backstage for about the last five or ten minutes and to hear God's people sing the way I have heard you sing warm my heart it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And even if you're joining us from home, we welcome you. Reach out to us at connect 2 I want to ask you if you would take your copy of God's Word, join me in the 42nd Psalm. And I would certainly, if you have ever shared a message from this church before, today would be the day. We're going to be talking about something that has become an epidemic. And no, I'm not talking about COVID. Uh, I'm talking about a mental health epidemic that tends to get worse around the holidays. We've wanted to spend the last couple of weeks just talking about how do we hear God through the holidays? Because the the wicked irony of, of the Christmas season is there have been so many layers of things that have been put on top of the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity and the hope of the world being brought, the God who created history willingly himself now stepping into that history, all of that gets clouded by all of these other distractions that that come our way and it becomes difficult. And we talked last week about materialism and how uh, that, that desire for more things can sometimes get in the way of that. Today, we're going to talk about depression. And when we talk about depression, I mean, just in general, outside the time frame uh, of the holidays, uh, it's a national epidemic. Those in the mental health profession have been known to call depression the common cold of mental illness. And in the last 100 years, we have seen uh, an epidemic of this sort of thing. The rate of depression in the last century has doubled for every successive generation. One in 10 Americans today over the age of 12 Take some kind of regularly prescribed medication for depression in fact from 1994 to 2008 according to the CDC the rate of antidepressant use in the United States grew by 400 percent and when we talk about that kind of epidemic let's let's describe what we're talking about not just having a bad day all of us have have had a bad day okay if you've been to Walmart this week you had a bad day amen and so we're not talking about that we're talking about a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that that leads to a kind of intense sadness that doesn't go away. And if you suffer from feelings like that, or if you've got a loved one who suffers with those feelings, just, again, outside the time frame of the holidays, those symptoms are put into overdrive during the holiday season. Mental health visits spike, suicide rates spike, every single Christmas on a national level. Now, there's several causes for this. Uh, we probably ought to just kind of discuss those by way of introduction. One is might be the absence of a person that used to be there. Our family is going to have to face that next week. We had to face it last year with the passing of my mother. We're facing it this year with the passing of Amy's father. And it, it quite simply is this. There was someone who was once there every Christmas, and they're no longer there. They're not there anymore. And for some of you, this is going to be the first Christmas without a loved one. There's there's going to be a death. But but really, it doesn't even have to be death. There may have been a divorce that caused that. There could be a deployment that's causing that. You've got a loved one serving overseas somewhere or even here in the States, and, and their duty to this country is not going to allow them to be with you. And so you're going to have to figure out how to cope with that. Absence can drive depression. Family drama. Nobody in here has a problem with that, do they? But it can drive depression. And sometimes I think it's because we see the kind of traditional way that family is portrayed, this very almost idealistic way that it's portrayed, especially around uh, the Christmas season. Norman Rockwell, you know who he is? Yeah. You ever looked at one of his paintings and went, "Yeah, that ain't my family? Because I have. I mean, if somebody was going to paint my family, it would not be Norman Rockwell. My family would never make the the Saturday Evening Post. And and some of you may feel the same way. I imagine there's probably somebody going, yeah, it would be Tyler Perry be painting my family. Because we're a whole lot more like Medea's Family Reunion than we are anything Norman Rockwell would have painted. Money problems. That's another issue that drives this. Again, we talked about materialism last week. Maybe you're saddened because you haven't had that good of a year and you can't afford maybe the kind of Christmas you'd like to provide for your family, or, or maybe it's on the other end of that spectrum, maybe your anxiety isn't coming until January because you didn't even think about whether or not you could afford it, you just bought it and you put it on plastic money that you don't have and, and so there's some debt coming next month and you're wondering how that's going to get paid off. And then finally, uh, and we don't like to admit this to ourselves, I don't know if it's pride, I, I don't know what it is, but, but exhaustion. Will drive depression. You're trying to get to the work party, you're trying to get to the church party. I'll tell you one of the one of the hidden blessings of COVID was we really scaled down what we did at Christmas here. We still celebrate Christmas, we still emphasize Christmas. Ask our staff, they're still incredibly busy at Christmas, but I think so much of the running around, I mean if this church was guilty of anything over the over the years, it, it's 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 been it's been substituting spirituality with activity there's always got to be something going on i came out here thanksgiving day once and there were people here like what are y'all doing here like you should be with your families like, like what's going on so you, you you scale back on something because you got to make this one like i got to get the christmas eve service then i got to get my small group party and then i got to get this party and then i got to get that party and then and then of course I, i've got to take a gift so i got to shop and then, at every one of those parties, there's what this rich digest, rich food that my digestive system's not accustomed to that stuff, and it does weird things to you. And that's all I'm gonna say. Doesn't it? Yeah. Somebody's like, there's some, there's some married couples. Yeah, we're sleeping in separate bedrooms until the New Year, till that gets out of. Is that too much? I'm sorry. And then there's alcohol, which becomes a depressant drug when it's poured on top of all of that, in perhaps more quantity than you should be taking in. Christmas for a lot of people, it's just a nonstop race, and and you're tired, and because you're tired, you're sad, you're you're exhausted, and then and then finally just loneliness. Maybe you. have You've gotten to a stage of life. The kids are gone. Maybe the spouse is no longer there and the family live far away and there's nobody really to come and to be with you. But even, even if you're younger, sometimes you can be found alone without an invitation to spend the holidays. And, and, and sometimes it's sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint the source of why you're sad. But if you're already prone to depression, Christmas isn't your friend, is it? Isn't that, isn't that ironic? Like wickedly ironic? That should be some indication to us of how far... What we celebrate has perhaps drifted from the real thing. But if you've ever felt these feelings, you are not alone. I guarantee you there's somebody in this room, there's somebody else watching from home that's feeling this as well. And one of the greatest kings in the Bible can identify with you. And this morning we're going to look at that struggle, discover a way to hear from God in this time of sadness. Psalm 42, verse 5. David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? One of the greatest warriors, one of the greatest kings in the Bible, and he suffered from sadness, depression. And and everybody who's ever stood in that place, they've asked the same questions that he asked here. Why is it that I'm sad and I cannot snap out of it and I cannot stop being sad? I don't know why. Let me give you some things to do. Not some things that are going to cure it. I'm not selling any snake oil today. In fact, I'll tell you this, a lot of the sanctification process involves God taking us through moments of sadness. So if you're experiencing that, take heart that the Lord is working on you and through you and molding you and shaping you into the person he wants you to be. But how do you do that in a way that honors him? Let me give you three ways. Number one, just face the truth of your depression. Look back at verse five again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Go to the very next verse, verse six. My soul is cast down within me. Fast forward now to verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You you kind of seeing what's going on here? There's this repetitive theme that keeps coming back. David is admitting that he's got a problem. He's saying this. This is where I am. You know, i found in almost thirty years of ministry now there are a lot of believers who don't want to admit this to themselves or to others. Sometimes it's out of pride because we think that the death and resurrection of Jesus, the veracity and the validity of faith, depends on whether we're always happy, and so we got to put up a front. You know, we got to tell people, well, you need to be a Christian like me, and you'll be a real winner. That's not what the Christian faith is about. But somehow, I don't know, we've Americanized it to the point that that's what it's become about. And so we keep up that front. We stuff it down. We we don't want to tell anybody about it. We're embarrassed by it. We're, We're ashamed of it. We don't want to admit this. Somebody's going to call me crazy. Well, here's an idea. You are. So is the rest of us. We'll get to that in a minute, all right? Not a person in front of me right now, not a person in this room, including the guy doing the talking right now, is not jacked up in some way. Oh, they're going to think something's bad. Listen, depression's not unusual. Did you know some of the greatest leaders this world has ever known have suffered from deep depression? Listen to this quote from Abraham Lincoln. If what I feel like were distributed to the whole human family, there would not be a cheerful face on earth To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or I must get better. Anybody ever felt that way? Winston Churchill, who led Great Britain through World War II, said, depression is like a black dog that follows me every day and I can't dispose of it. Hear this preacher tell you something this morning. Some of you have been told that if you're depressed, that if you're fighting depression, that if this is a cycle that you can't beat, that that means there's something wrong with you, you're in some kind of sin, there's something that you're not doing that you should be doing, but you're not following Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. Depression is not a sin. It's not. Anybody that tells you that is lying to you. It is not a sin. But if it's left unchecked, it will hurt you because it'll it'll turn to despair. And despair is the moment when you've lost all hope. You don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Despair is where you get to the point where you start with your life and with your disposition, with your attitude, denying both the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And you know how that starts? By just refusing to admit to yourself that this is an issue in your life. You'll just end up lying to God. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God and face the truth like David did three times in these 11 verses. I'm cast down. I know what's kind of, I'm I'm self-aware enough that I realize I can't stuff this any longer. I must die or I must get better. Face the truth of it. Once you've done that, then you can find the root of it. So you, you can seek to determine and identify the source of that problem. That's exactly what we see David doing. Look, at back at, look back at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And he's moving verse by verse, symptom by symptom, place by place, and, and he's, he's just he's becoming self-aware. What's going on? Here's why I'm sad. I am cast down. At least one of those reasons was he's crying all night and he's not getting any sleep. In other words, his depression was causing a lack of sleep. And you know what a lack of sleep will do? It will create deeper depression, and then you have this vicious cycle that goes on and on and on. Now here's the advantage that you and I have that even David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not have when he writes verse 3. And so we have a lot of knowledge of the human brain and the human psyche and how it works that the ancient world didn't have. So here's my big idea. If David, with none of those resources, can be faithful to God in the middle of the depression, you can too. You can too. We'll get to those resources in just a bit, but, but for the moment, let's just look at this. The root of his depression. See, some, sometimes it's a physical problem. Some, it was causing a lack of sleep. That was, that was creating deeper depression. Are you getting enough rest? I, I don't know why I'm feeling impressed with the Lord recently, Through our whole peace series in Psalm 23, I can't remember how many times I mentioned this idea of getting appropriate rest. I I don't know everybody's situation. We've got somewhere between 800 and 900 souls here that we're caring for. I can't know everybody's situation. But I have to wonder if there are not more than one or two of you that are just refusing to rest, and maybe that's why this keeps coming back up. You You know, most of the drama, by the way, that ensues in relationships is caused by internal struggle that somebody's dealing with. 99 times out of 100, if I get into a fight with my wife, or if you get into it with somebody at work or somebody else in the church, it began with one or maybe even both of you having something going on inside that had absolutely nothing to do with that other person. You just hadn't dealt with it in the right way. So it comes out ugly. It comes out ugly. And so much of that is because I'm lashing out because I'm insecure. I'm insecure. I doubt my own ability. I'm unsure of my value to the other person. And so much of that, not all of it, but so much of it can be cured with a good night's sleep. I have gone to bed hopeless before. I hope I'm not the only one admitting that, but I may as well be honest with you. I have in my adult life on more than one or two occasions gone to bed, seeing no light at the end of the tunnel, and no hope, and wondering what on earth I was going to do. And when I got up the next morning, not a blessed thing about my situation had changed. But you know what did? My disposition. You know what the difference was? About eight hours of sleep. Sometimes it really is that simple. You know, we talked about this in the the Psalm 23 series, the concept of Sabbath was given because God knew we can't just keep going nonstop. You keep violating your Sabbath, you're, you're always going to be tired. That fatigue is going to induce depression, and then it's going to come out nasty. So you need to ask yourself, am I a workaholic? Do I get enough exercise? Do I, do I eat on the run? When we planted our very first church, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, and, and I, I was up until 1 or 2 a.m. almost every morning, I would get no more than maybe five hours of sleep at night. I was working nonstop, going nonstop. Our family did not, t- we took one four-day vacation in my first two years. And you know why we did it? Because I had this thought that the kingdom needs me. <laughs> I, I remember going away, we had to be away from class, I was, I was, I was doing some seminar work at Southern Seminary at the time, trying to finish. Trying, I, I was an idiot, trying to finish a Ph.D., trying to do four or five things at once. We're driving back on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm freaking out because this church has never been without me since it started. We had gone into debt, which we shouldn't have done. I regularly stand up in front of aspiring church planters now like a good hypocrite and tell them to never, ever do what I did, which is to go into debt for a sound system. All right. and, and so we, we had this we had this sound thing we had attendance we had everything and so we take the call, and it was one of my elders. I said, "How did everything go?" He said, "Man, God's spirit moved in incredible ways today. It was just it was just an awesome day." He said, "You you probably he said I know we're not all in this for the money, pastor, but you, you should probably also know." We took in the largest offering this week we've ever taken in in the entire two-year history, two history of the church. And it included a single check written by apparently some couple that had come in, and they, they were in between churches had given in a while. So they write this check, and, and almost to the dollar, it was the amount we owed on the sound system. And so I hung up the phone. I looked at my wife. I told her what was going on, and she started laughing. She said, I've been trying to convince you for the last two years God really don't need you that bad. <laughs> Some of you think, well, I'm needed. No, you, you, you are, but you aren't, okay? Your presence is needed. Your soul matters. You're created in the image of God. You're the object of Christ's redemption. In that regard, you matter. And you matter so much that you might need to come to the realization you're not needed as much as perhaps you think you are. Are you getting enough rest? I would go to the doctor later on that year and he would tell me there's no magic pill to make everything right. You're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way. You're going to have to get rest. You're going to have to start eating right. You're going to have to get some exercise. Sometimes it can be a physical problem. Sometimes it's an emotional problem. And I'm just, let me just, for time's sake, we won't read the whole thing Go home this afternoon and look at the 42nd Psalm and you're going to find that five times in 11 verses, David uses the word soul. He's talking about the seed of his emotions. Our modern understanding of the word psyche, etymologically and otherwise, it comes from this concept. and, And we use those same euphemisms today. We just don't talk about the soul so much as we do the heart. I crossed my heart, you broke my heart, oh my heart, put your heart into it. Right? What are we saying in that moment? We're saying engage your emotions, train your psyche so that your whole being is committed to the task. Put your heart into it. And sometimes your heart gets messed up, though, doesn't it? Your psyche, it gets out of whack. Upsetting circumstances or problems with your kids or chronic sickness of you and a loved one or death that separates you from a loved one. And then here come the holidays to make everything compounded, to make everything worse. Sometimes, too, it's also a spiritual problem. Demonic influence can and does play a role in depression sometimes. Now, I know that for no other reason than this. I know that the Scriptures teach with with abundant clarity that, that our enemy loves to discourage us. He wants you to stay there, and he is most successful in doing that when you have an issue in your life that goes unchecked. Being depressed is not a sin. But there are things we can do that are sinful that will sometimes lead to depression. And so when we're we're trying to ferret out the root causes, we've got to ask yourself, is there any part of my life that's not completely in sync with the will of the Lord, that doesn't mean I'm always going to go back to self-blame. There may be something there that's completely beyond my control, but it's a question that, need to be, that needs to be asked. God made you and me for fellowship with him, and when that fellowship is broken by something we do, and we've got to ferret that out. That's another way of maybe asking this question. What are you medicating with? When things get dark, when things seem to get hopeless, when it, you run to the liquor cabinet, Listen, a a good glass of wine, a fine glass of bourbon is a good gift from a loving God. Laughing up Mommy's sippy cup at 9 a.m. is rebellion against that same God. And it's driving some of you to a place you don't need to be, to a place God doesn't want you to be. Is it alcohol? Is it pills? Is it porn? The number of, of men, especially, although th- this is starting to increase among women who, who go to pornography because there is admittedly visual and other kinds of pleasure that comes out of that practice. And you think, okay, I'm going to get this temporary, and it will. It'll give you a temporary high, it'll lift you up right before you crash. Because the worship of the human body that God created is not anywhere in the same universe as worshiping God. Is it shopping? We used to call it mall therapy. There are no malls anymore, are there? Now it's Amazon therapy. Where are you, were you going with all this? There's a story about a guy who went to the, the, a counselor for depression. The counselor said, well, maybe it's life circumstances. Tell me about your life. He said, well, I, I live in a... A million-dollar home, I drive a $150,000 Mercedes, I just got back from a trip from Hawaii. He said, well, that doesn't sound like the life of a man who's depressed. He said, well, it will be if you only make $100 a week. (laughs) Sometimes there are things in my life, okay? Here's the big idea, though. Whether it's something in you or in me, or maybe it's something from the outside that we can't help, you can sit in despair or you can work to track down the source of the despair. And here's the good news, okay? 3,000 years after David writes these words, mental health professionals have already done a lot of that homework for us, all right? And they tell us that there are four primary sources that account for the majority of depression cases. You ready for this? Number one would be a chemical imbalance that can be treated with certain kinds of medication. You're like, so it's not a sin to take meds for you? No. 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 Is it a sin to take Tylenol if you have a headache? When we have discovered that there's a problem and that there's a way to address that problem, absolutely. Now, well, should I be careful? Of course you should be careful. Don't, don't jump into drugs. Be even slower to do it with your children. I'm not telling you to just... You know, start popping pills for everything. What I am telling you is that God, through general revelation, through common grace, has given us medical ways now of addressing so many things that that prior generations could not. And if it's working for you, do it. Do it. In consultation with a competent professional. Chemical imbalance. Number two, reactive depression. This is something that comes as a result of a death, a divorce, some other major crisis has hit you. And and by the way, crises don't have to be negative. Anybody in here recently gotten married? Congratulations. Marriage is wonderful, isn't it? It's a good gift from a loving God. And it's a crisis. (laughs) You move in together you're sleeping together now, so you start swapping each other's cooties. You spend the first six months kind of sick. This one's sick, then that one's sick. Two engaged couples. you got a lot to look forward to there. All right. My daddy, about three weeks before I got married, said, Son, it doesn't take very long for perfume to turn to Vic Sav. I'm just telling you. <laughs> this is marriage, right? Anybody had a baby recently? We love babies around here. Oh, my gosh, what a gift and heritage from the Lord, and what a crisis. Your life will never be the same. And you can be happy about it while still realizing my life will never be the same. Anybody bought a new house recently? Any married couples built a house together, and you're still married? Yeah, see, see, this isn't negative stuff. This is all great. This is good. It's good, but it's a crisis. And sometimes those things can can lead to a reactive form of depression. Wait a minute. Why are you depressed? You just had a baby. I don't know. Maybe I've never seen so much poop and throw up in my life. Maybe that's why. Right? Why are you depressed? You just got a new house with a new mortgage. And I've already had to call the warranty company three times. Number three, toxic depression. This could be brought on by like a viral illness or something similar that, that brings you down. A lot, of, a lot of former COVID patients now are dealing with, with some of this. And then number four is psychotic, which is linked to a nervous breakdown or some kind of brain disease. Now, the first two of those four represent the vast majority of cases of depression in North America. And that means you can do something about it. You can face the truth of it. You can you can in most cases figure out the root what's causing all of this and then you can fight the feeling see there's no sin in depression but it is rebellion against God to willingly knowingly when there are paths you can choose to sit in it. I, I'm, I'm just I'm just going I've I made up my mind and, and listen I can't judge anybody's heart I don't know. Where, where that switch is in your life, where it's, okay, I can't help it, I can't help it, I can't help it. Well, now I'm depressed because I choose to be depressed. I, I don't know where that's at. I can't make that judgment call for you. But I can tell you that I've known a lot of people, and I'm sure you probably have too, who have just made up their mind to be miserable for the rest of their life, like a baby sitting in a dirty diaper. I know it stinks, but it's warm and it's mine. That's some people. I'm just going to be miserable. When there are practical steps you can take, number one is lie down. Verse six, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from, from Mount Mizar. He's, he's recalling to mind things that remind him of the greatness of God. I'm going to sit here, but I'm going to meditate on better things. Alistair Begg puts it this way. There are times in a Christian's life when we've got to stop asking ourselves how we feel and start asking ourselves what we know to be true. Because God is God, and Christ is Christ and God, and he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and he sits with all the authority at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for you. Every bit of that is true regardless of how you feel every bit of it. So David says, I'm, I'm going I'm to meditate, focus on the greatness, the goodness of God. I, I wonder how many people they're looking at. They're waiting on the circumstance to change. They're waiting on stuff to get better because that, whatever that is, is now on the throne where God belongs. And God, out of his love for you, is saying, yeah, that's never going to satisfy you. And the longer you keep focusing on it, the more I'm going to ensure in my sovereignty that it never brings you satisfaction. Because what you need is me. You need me back on that throne in your life. And sometimes, again, that, that requires coming apart. Just taking some time for yourself. Martin Luther, during one of the most trying times of his life during the Protestant Reformation, said, I have so much to do today, I simply must go back to bed. Now, don't stay in bed, okay? That's the, it, yeah, every time I do a message about Sabbath or about rest, I feel like I always have to caveat it for that, that small minority of people who are like, I love hearing stories about Sabbath. And, uh, you, dude, you're working 25 hours a week and your employer's paying you for 40. Lack of Sabbath is not your problem, okay? All right, there's a balance here. But if you're having trouble, it's amazing. I mean, it, and, and again, see your physician on this. And I know I'm talking to dudes that are like me and don't like going to the doctor. Not really, I it's like, I would rather have a tooth pulled than go to the doctor, but then that would require going to the dentist. <laughs> like I, I don't I did I, I had a deacon at a church in Baltimore where I was preaching for several months, filling in until they found a pastor. This is ten plus years ago, and he came to me, he said, "I don't know what to do." He said, "I'm in deep dark depression, I'm out of a, I'm out of a point of despair." And I'm a deacon here for crying out loud I just feel I feel like maybe I need to resign and so we we sat in the pastor's office there and after about an hour he just he just I just let him unload because he he didn't have anybody he didn't know who else he could go to and he was like I I feel this way and it's just horrible and there have been times and he and that's the point he looked he said I've got a 38 caliber revolver at home I have thought many times in the last couple of weeks about just putting it in my mouth and ending it all um, now, Brief excurses here. Priority number one when somebody tells you that, apart from listening to them and being there for them, is get the freaking gun out of the freaking house, which we did. But there's also some deeper exploration there. I said, "Yeah." He said, "I think I've I, it's, I think I've got a demon." I said, well, "Maybe. Keep talking." How's your sleep patterns? I I make one two hours of sleep every night. That's all I'm getting. He said I feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm grumpy with my children, to the point they don't even want to be around me anymore. My wife and I haven't been intimate in months. We but what caught me, what caught me, what what, what I heard was not so much the lack of sex, but this: We're, we've gone to sleeping in separate bedrooms. And when he finished his little spiel, I said, "Can I go back to something here?" when you all started sleeping in separate bedrooms, did that have anything to do with you disturbing her while she sleeps? And that was the only time in that hour that he laughed. And he goes, yeah. He said, I, I'm like a lumberjack with three chainsaws. He said, I snore like a bad boy. It's just awful. And she wasn't getting any sleep, so I, I started sleeping in the other room. And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I, I, let me suggest something. I, why don't you go get a sleep study? Because I've got a suspicion that perhaps you have a condition that could be treated. And this particular condition, you it takes a little while to recover from it. So from the moment they start treating you, you're not going to get better overnight. But you're going to have to give it about 90 days. And if, if I'm right, you'll feel like a new man. He did. It was. And three months to the day, he's like, I'm like a brand new guy. So some of y'all just need to break down and swallow your pride and go see your physician. Go see a mental health professional. Get some of these things looked at because sometimes it's just that simple. Lie down. Here's the number one. Here's the other thing you want to do. You want to launch out. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. I, I remember not just the God I worship, I remember how I worshipped. I remember this. He went out of the house. And he went and served other people. He went to God's house to be with God's people. Listen, one of the worst mistakes a child of God can make during their depression is to leave and desert the community of believers. This is the time when you need community the most. And I know what some of you are thinking. Same thing I'm thinking. Yeah, but everybody's going to ask me how I'm doing, and I'm going to get tired of answering the same questions all the time. And people say trite, stupid stuff because they don't know anything to say. And yes, you're absolutely right. And I should probably do a sermon series just called Shut Up. Okay? I, I probably should because I, I get that, right? You, you, you want to say, I mean, you, you, your heart is just bigger than your brain. Bless your heart. And yes, I mean that in the South Carolina sense of bless your heart. You just say all this stuff and it doesn't really mean anything. It's empty platitudes. And the person receiving it feels like they've got to reverse shepherd you rather than get ministered to say i get it i get it if that's you but i'm going to tell you something they're still god's people and they still love you and and there's a number among them who know just to be there for you and you need to let them be there for you let them be there for you don't pull the shades down over your life don't cocoon yourself off it will be the death of you get out of the house be with other people and serve other people. Dr. Carl Menninger, the late, world-renowned psychiatrist of a generation ago, he's not very well-known today in mental health circles. It may have something to do with a book he wrote called Whatever Became of Sin. That's another summer for another day. Someone asked his advice as a depressed person. Dr. Menninger said, are you really, truly, severely depressed? Yes, almost to the point of taking my own life. Dr. Menninger said, then lock the door behind you, Go across the street, find someone in need, and do something to help them. Do something to help somebody else. It, it, it's the greatest medication ever. Just, just go. There are foster kids that need our help this holiday season. There are families with less than you that need your help. There are neighbors that may be suffering from the same internal pain some of you are feeling right now, and they need your help. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the hope that can truly Help them. Look at the latter part of verse 5. David says, Hope in God, for, for I again will praise him, my salvation and my God. He finds relief in taking his eyes off of his circumstances and even uh, re- relenting somewhat from focusing on what's going on internally and saying, as I shared with you at the early part of this message, it doesn't matter how I feel or how you feel. The truth is still the truth. God is still God. Christ still reigns. Stop asking yourself how you feel. Start asking yourself what you know to be true. And if you want to fight the feelings of depression, you got to understand that. If you feel truly hopeless, then it's your feelings that are lying to you. Because as a child of God, you have the greatest hope in the world. The greatest hope in the world. So let me give you three things just in conclusion, here again, it, it's I pray this is as timely as I feel like it is at this point in the season. But these are three really, really simple things I want you to take home with you. Number one, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. There's, there's e- even generate, like our, our parents, and especially our grandparents, come from a generation where there was a real stigma around this issue, but it's still there even today. It's still there. I can't go to see a, a therapist. I can't Your pastor's been to see a therapist. Amy and I reached a point in our marriage, about 14 years in, we weren't at each other's throats, we weren't talking divorce, but we knew we needed some help. and So we got it from a woman who lived not far from us, who had a counseling practice, spent about a year with us. About a year with us. I went and got some more some years later. About three years ago, while I was still your pastor. So if you're nuts, I'm nuts. And the truth of the matter is, we all are. Every bit of it, listen, there's a manual, I think, unless the the mental health professionals in the room can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think its latest iteration is volume 5. It's called the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It is basically the Bible for mental health professionals, and if you will get yourself a copy of that and just keep turning, eventually you will find your reflection in there. It it tells you, there there is something wrong with all of us. You're like, some of you are like, what, what kind of what liberal psychobabble is that? The Word of God says there is none righteous, no, not one. And the effects of the sin curse, whether it's something I did that caused it, or even if it's just the, the effects of living in a fallen world that come through no fault of my own, there are going to be times when I need to get help. Don't be ashamed to say you're not okay. Don't be ashamed. Number two, get help. This is, like I told you, this isn't complicated. Tomorrow morning, check your inbox. If you're new to the Covenant family and you're one of those kind of anonymous sort of folks, you're like, "Eh, I don't want them to know my address yet. Pastor Joel looks like he eats pretty healthy. I don't want him to show up and surprise me at dinner one night. I, I promise I won't, but you should get into that communication network. And when you get something from Covenant, you should check it, especially tomorrow morning or sometime before close of business tomorrow at least. You're going to get something in your inbox, and, and it's going to have uh, just a list of resources, beginning with Covenant's own counseling office. But as you can imagine, especially at the holidays, we get overwhelmed, so there are others right here in Shepherdstown, throughout the tri-state area, probably at least a hundred different counselors that we know, that we trust, that will take your call. And then one of the last things you're going to see is something I'm going to put up here in just a moment. In the event that you can't get anybody, because with all that the world has been made to endure these last couple of years... Mental health professionals are kind of like pastors. They're just a tad overworked, and they're trying to solve exponentially more problems than they've ever tried to solve before. So if it takes them a while to get back with you, if that that appointment can't be made until end of January, listen, don't take that as they don't care. Don't take it that way. And if you need immediate help, and our tech team's going to put this banner up, this is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 800-273-8255. You're like, should I admit that to myself? Listen, there would not be an 800 number that was manned 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in this country if you were not merely one of thousands who have contemplated that. And I will tell you this, there is no despair, there is no depression that is worth your life. Hear your pastor tell you in love, there is nothing, I don't care what it is, that is worth your life. Nothing. God gave you that life. You were created in his image. You are a product of the redemptive work of the blood of Jesus. That is the extent of his love for you. Don't throw that away. Don't throw that away. Get help. Get help. One final thing. Seek the presence of God. Seek the presence of God. When you get into the Word of God and you focus on the God who wrote that Word and the Son of God to whom that Word points, that could transform you. Listen, that is not in any way at odds with seeking a competent therapist with taking prescribed and appropriate medication, none none of that contradicts. But I'm, but I'm just going to tell you, you can take care of the physiological, and leave this for somebody else to figure out. And you're always going to be searching for something. Seek the presence of God because He can transform your life in a way that nothing else can. So if you're dep- if, you, if you're suffering for depression, and of course I. I be remiss if I didn't mention our Celebrate Recovery group um, Tuesday nights, right here. Well, not right here, up on the third floor. And you can reach out to our office tomorrow. Find that out. Find out out in the lobby. Where's where do they meet? Just a group of people getting together. Say, listen, Celebrate Recovery is not just about alcohol. It's not about addiction necessarily. There are a whole range of issues, and I'm telling you, there are men and women in that ministry. I about, about about six weeks ago, Pastor Dave and I ran into an, a kind of a semi-emergency situation here in town, and I watched our celebrate recovery people literally save somebody's life. So I don't forget, there's some in-house stuff here too. That can be handled. And here's the thing I love about CR: they're going to point you back to the presence of God. If you're suffering from depression this holiday season, that's the ultimate it is the presence of a God who loves you to the extent that he did the thing that we celebrate this holiday season he incarnated himself in human flesh he lived in perfection he died as your substitute he rose again so that you can have eternal life let let me encourage you today those of you who are downtrodden those of you who are on the edge of despair take hope in that and with all of your might grab hold of that life, that abundant one that he speaks about in John 10, that he offers you in the person and the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for common grace. Lord, I rejoice that what I told these people is true, that there is so much we know that even a century ago we did not know And God, all of that is a gift of your grace, a good and a perfect gift. But Lord, I also thank you that the ancient truth still lies underneath all of that, that there is the presence of an unchanging God who is sovereign and who is good. And Lord, may we rest in your presence today. Lord, I pray for those who may have even thought about taking their own life, that Lord, your word together with what your word has encouraged them to do the next couple of weeks, would spare them, would help them to see that nothing is worth their life except for you. And Lord, may they come to you. If there's someone who doesn't know you, may they come to you today. And may you be glorified in the way that your people and those that are yet to be your people would respond to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.